0: Yes, yes. Uh, my name is Danny. If we've never met, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am grateful that you are here. I'm going to share uh, the message with you today, the message portion of our service. I just want to start off by welcoming everybody who doesn't go to church and got manipulated to be here. Welcome. It's part of our overall church plan. Uh, we, we love new people. We love the space that uh, they kind of bring with them, uh, because as you're going to find out here in a minute, Kessit is a place that loves to sit in, uh, in a bit of tension, between what we know and what we think we know, and uh, a God who knows it all. And so uh, this series, The Blacksmith's Dog, launches today, and uh, it's going to be a four-week series, and the entire series is going to be on apathy. And there's a very real reason why uh, we're doing it, and and that's what you're going to find out today. So let me just say this. Um, Every person in this room has at least a few areas in their lives that they're apathetic Uh, and I just say that I don't normally give people like the punchline of a service, but I've done now two of these. This is my third one. And every time they're surprised when halfway through, uh, they're like, Oh, I, I think he's talking to me. And so I thought I would try the third service and folks online by just telling you, I'm talking to you, uh, and I'm talking to myself, but that way I just want to see what happens because I've already done two and I got a nine o'clock in the bag. So, uh, let's just, let's just stir it up a little bit and then see what happens just with the reality that that I think I'm talking to you. Now, you don't have to believe in the God I'm talking about in order to engage with apathy, by the way. So you can be an, an apathetic atheist. So just chill out a little bit if you're like, well, I don't, I'm not here to learn anything. Great, but apathy is like a human condition. So you're human, therefore be human. And sit in this topic with us today because I believe there's a lot of beauty in it, um, especially if your season of life is a little bit like my season of life. Now, I am going to put a statement up on the screen and uh, you tell me what you think if I was to say or am saying that everything at Kessid is great. <laughs> you laugh, you laugh. Now here's the profound part of this. Uh is just about 13 years old. And right now uh, there is more good going on at Kessid, more structure, more foundation, more, more blessing, if you will, uh, than ever has been in the history of the church. And so the statement in and of itself is quite true. Everything at Kessid really is going great. And I want to talk to you because of that statement, why I think apathy is, is, is literally one of the most important things we could talk about at this season within our community. Now, for a kind of common language, I want to put up a definition. Apathy is the lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. So that's the definition that we're working with. And I want to also give some quick clarity that I am not here to call out Kesed community uh, as a whole. As a matter of fact, there's only one reason that we're going to be able to do this series for four weeks. There's only one reason we're going to be able to walk into such a delicate topic at all. And that's because we are, as I said, blessed in this current season to swim in the spiritual current of curiosity and tension. You'll hear that word a lot around here, curiosity. We are a place that is that is willing to sit with all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds and, and, and wrestle with this idea that maybe God has more for us. So in order for me to talk about apathy, I have to at least set a little bit of standard for Kessid's whole curiosity movement or strategy, as I have heard, and so I wanna bring up clarity around this. Spiritual curiosity is not a church strategy, it is a movement. For those of you who have been really excited about it, thinking this is something we decided to implement a a year ago and that we started rolling it out and that it became a slogan and now we're gonna build curiosity classes, which I don't think are such a bad idea. I wanna make sure I'm clear that it didn't come from the mind of leadership or elders or some sort of spiritual awakening. It just started happening here. People started showing up and when we asked them why they're here, they're like, I don't know, I'm just curious. And so we... We wrestled with that because we knew that we were supposed to be a place that was interested in the tension and the gray, but there were only two things that we were really about since the beginning, two words that you've seen all over the building and all over the website, and we try and preach as often as we can, and that's scripture and spirit. This is what we've been talking about, that there's really two kind of mediums that God, that God floats within, that God presents himself in. One is scripture. It's, it's pretty mechanical. It's pretty structured. It doesn't really change much. And it's a platform and scaffolding that we are supposed to be building our church communities around and our lives. And then you have the much more fluid spirit. It's much more intuitive. It's much more kind of feeling-based. It's much more emotion-based. These are the two things we were uh, following and that God was unveiling. And then all of a sudden, this idea of curiosity started peeking its head. People started showing up and they're like, yeah, I'm not really about scripture. I'm about only spirit. Or I'm really about spirit, I'm really not about scripture. But I'm, I was confused as we would talk with them because I'm like, but why are you here? Because we're not a church that's only about spirit. We're not hyper charismatic and we're not a church that's only about scripture. We're not hyper fundamentalist. So what are you doing here? And they're like, I don't know, I'm just curious. Even like old Christian people started using this word. And when old Christian people start using the word curious, you gotta stop and Listen. And so we started being curious ourselves about this thing that God was doing. And we started to realize that between scripture and spirit, when you look at that, that little that little plus sign, I think that's where the tension and so curiosity has been lying. I think that God has been birthing it. I think that he has said, if you're willing to stay in the tension with me and with each other and be curious about what I might do with your life as you are, not this imaginary version of your life that that one day somebody said you could be, but who you are right now in your space with your story, with your trauma, with your drama. You're like, whoa, whoa, it's getting personal in here. It's going to get a lot more personal, trust me. If you are willing and I am willing to be curious about what God can do with me as I am, then suddenly I think there will be an unfolding of his presence. Then suddenly I think there will be clarity within scripture, clarity within spirit. Suddenly the mechanical and the fluid will blend together and God will get all the credit for it. If we're gonna face apathy in our lives, we have to be curious first about where it lives within our lives so that we can ask big questions like who is God? If you think you know who God is, I'm just here to tell you the 20 year old version of you is laughing at the now 55 year old version of you. And the 75 year old version of you is literally rolling around on the floor. We're supposed to be curious about that question. Who is God? How do I know him more? How do I fit into all this that he's doing? What happens next? This is where curiosity begins to play itself out in our lives. Curiosity is critical in order to ask the big, even uh, human questions, maybe not the spiritual questions, just the human and emotional questions, questions that determine uh, what it means to feel and belong in your own body, questions like, where am I? How did I get here from there and how do I get there from here? The research professor Brené Brown states that these three questions, these right here, are central to understanding both the physical and internal worlds we each navigate every day. But very few people are curious about how they got to where they are right now. Very few people are curious about how do you get from where you are to where you're supposed to be. Very few people are actually curious about anything in their lives at all. They're just responding every single day, trying to stay afloat but not actually asking how they got into the water in the first place. Without curiosity, we become apathetic. And so stay where we are, as we are, living out our day-to-day lives in the rut of delusion that we are as we should be, no matter the pain or dysfunction we're experiencing. And so we settle in or buckle up or be a big boy or be powerful and the world just keeps coming and we keep going under the waves and the whole time people around us can see it but they've got their own story and trauma and drama they're not working out and suddenly we're just eating each other alive emotionally could you imagine could you imagine a child operating that way See, this is why I think the Bible constantly reminds us to come back and be childlike in our faith, to come back and describes us as Christians, as children of God, because children don't operate that way. Children understand something different. They understand that they're in process. This is my five-year-old Godson, Thatcher. Thatcher at this moment in life is an animal expert. That's all he does all day is YouTube animal shows. He knows more about animals than than just about anybody I've ever met. He knows so much about animals that Thatcher decided to create a bird-watching book with his own drawings of animals. Like this one. This is a pigeon, clearly. (laughs) Although it looks more like a T-Rex, but that's just me. Story goes that Thatcher was walking his property with his father, going through his bird book, showing his father, oh, this is a robin, dad. This is a drawing of a robin. And oh, this is this. And he goes, every once in a while, I think I see pigeons. And then he showed his dad the pigeon picture. And I think his dad probably had the same face you did. He went, and he went, pigeon, dad, pigeon. (laughs) And his father said, Thatcher, this book is amazing. You are amazing. I'm just so proud of you. And he said, (laughs) His dad told me that Thatcher looked up at him and he goes, yeah. (laughs) No, wait, wait for it. He goes, yeah, I'm pretty good at math. (laughs) Oh, his father corrected him about what, what actually he was good at. You know, it was more of a grammar thing maybe than a math thing, but hey, really proud of the effort. See, it's cute and endearing because we all understand that for the most part, no child, even after a total failure like that one, would be like, oh, oh, it's a grammar thing? Oh, well, then I guess I'm a failure and grammar's not for me. No more coloring for me. No more drawn bird books for you, Dad. I'm just going to go and live my life and, and avoid all that stuff altogether. See, children are just too curious to live that way because at that season in their life, they have understood that lives are lived out in fluid process. They expect those kinds of mistakes. And with the right fathering or mothering or love, they mean nothing but another learning experience and beautiful story. But along the way, along the way, we as adults have found ourselves in a less sufficient place. We have found ourselves compartmentalized into what we can and can't be. And so adults don't operate in this fluid process, this place where we can expand and create and be questioned and and question ourselves. Instead, somewhere along the way, we start believing that lives are lived out in static places. Where you are is how you are. What you got is what you got. The family you have is the family you have. Deal with it. You don't have to call out stuff. You don't have to challenge. You don't have to transform. And guess what? Those kids that are bothered by the way you treat them and you keep saying, yeah, but it's better than how my parents treated me, they're right. And so are you. And somebody should probably stop and ask questions about why everybody can't be in process. Instead, everything's a prescription and a description. We live our lives in this way all the time. We hold on to tangible things that make us feel secure. Because the gray and the tension, it's just too uncomfortable. Jesus taught on this in a way that I think is really interesting. Luke 12, verse 16, he's telling a parable, and he says this. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then listen very closely to verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, barn building, retirement building, career building, family building, these are all very static, somewhat fixed Things. These are all somewhat mechanical, you could even say. And the thing about this story that's so profound is that this man decided that's what mattered in life. And that if he could just take the barns that he had and build them bigger so that he could have more protection, more security, more power, more, even more ability to help other people. However you want to wrap it up, that would meet the needs, that mechanical thing would meet the needs of his fluid soul. And then at that point he could experience wholeness. He could experience peace. He could eat, drink, relax, and be merry. He was fragmented in his pursuit. And so decided that that barn building was going to be how he found who he was. But it says in verse 20, but God said to him, God showed up just like he's showing up in all of us right now and in our stories. Just like I hope he's starting to pull back a little bit of that place in your life that you didn't think you were, like the last place in your life you think you're apathetic, you might, we're going to see here in a minute, you might actually be most apathetic. Because the last place in your life you think is apathetic is probably the place you've built the biggest barns. You have the most security. You're the most sure of who you are and what you do. And so God shows up in the midst of this man's celebration of his big barns and he says to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I've heard this talked a lot about in regards to money, and I think, I think there's a beautiful angle there with funds and money and the resources God blesses us with, but I think it's much more about you and I building our lives about, around the tangible and the touchable and the securable and thinking those things are going to meet the needs of our soul, the thirsts of our soul and so we begin to honor and cherish and strategize around these places of the barn these places that we truly value these places that that really when it comes to our soul feed very little as adults we so often live like this we become blind to these obvious missed parts of our lives and when people ask how are we doing we answer my barns are looking great come see and people start to look around and they're, they're, you help them hyper-focus on the barns in your life. This is the guy who has an amazing career, but is just a crap husband. Forget my Greek. This is, a, this is somebody who's like a deep and rich theologian. Like they can just put rummage through this Bible in just an incredible way, but can't love their way better than a four-year-old. This is you and this is me. And the hardest part is oftentimes, these are big blind spots in our lives like the gentleman we just read about with the big barns that misplaced them for his soul. You see, I think often what happens is when everything appears to be going great, we no longer worry about it. And so we begin to become apathetic in those areas. You see, we can do it all day because it's all of us. So no, I'm not here to call out Kessid Church as a community. I'm here to call out you and me. And this calling out is critical for a series on apathy because it all starts with being able to separate ourselves a bit from the distracting, popular, uh, secure barn movements of our life, at least enough to evaluate the places in our lives we are no longer curious and so apathetic in. So we'll just start with the biggest, I think, apathetic movement in most Christians' lives, This is, this is, this is you and I, this is you and I just, we're just going to take the gloves off just for a second. So um, somebody's going to bleed. I'm hoping it's you, not me, but we'll see. I think probably the biggest apathetic place in a Christian's life lies within the very movements of God they hold so dear. I'll go first. See, what I love in my life is this. I love being able to do this. I love the craft of it. I love the art of it. I love the gifting of it. I love all the hours and all the time that that I put into it. But if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, I can read the Bible in order to create a message more than I could read the Bible in order to fall in love with Jesus. And it can become a massive, approved, appreciated, and applauded barn in my life. See, I don't know where Jesus sits inside your story right now and where he's moving all around that you actually think is you, but it's him. Like, I don't know where in your world that he is blessing. And you're like, yeah, it's a sign, you know. And you try to have that fake Christian humility where you don't talk about it, but your eyes shine and you look at people like, can you believe I'm doing this with my life? You know those people. And you're just hoping somebody slips and says something that's going on amazing in your story so you can be like, what did you, I wasn't gonna say, yeah, it's true, it's true. It's totally true. I know it's gross, but it's true. The movements of God are often the places Christians actually hide and aren't a part of that they then raise up as a barn to prove that they're so close to God. This is basically every Pharisee and Sadducee you've ever read about in the Bible. Look at the temple, look at all the things God's doing, look at the holies of holy, look at all this beauty. And then Jesus is like, nah. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You you see the robe, right? You understand I'm fourth generation priest. And Jesus is like, I think you're fourth generation vipers, what I think, oh, and he looks around and everybody's like, ah, right in there. The whole church is freaking out just like some of you are right now because you've never missed reading the Bible once, ever. But that's become your Jesus. I know. I know. I knew the 11 o'clock would be rough because you guys are the fun crowd. <laughs> And it's fun to come to church and it's fun to, to sit and, and I hope, I hope for you see scripture come alive, but sometimes even the fun of it can be distracting. And suddenly you can think because you go to a spiritually curious church, you're actually a spiritually curious person when you're not at all. You're just at the church to cover up the fact that you already have all the answers and you think Danny's funny, which he is. But it doesn't minimize your, it doesn't minimize in any way the curiosity that you are supposed to have. Let's just get personal with everybody that's uh, still in high school, just real quick. Cause I know you, you like it, you wanna shoot it straight. You always say that, right? I just wanna shoot it straight. Awesome. Your parents' spirituality has nothing to do with your spirituality. And just because you're the one kid in school that attends church every day, doesn't mean anything. Nothing. You're like, but I lead a high school Bible study. Huh. Yeah, and I also went to high school with a lot of kids that led high school Bible studies. They aren't all good kids. They're clever kids is what they are. They're very, very clever kids. But they're hiding often their faith by the things they're actually doing. We'll get even more personal. Volunteers at this church, this church would not operate without volunteers, would not happen. And as someone who volunteered for years and years and years and someone who does this job, let me just say, Just because you volunteer 10 or 15 hours a week at this church or a local church or another agency that gives back doesn't mean somehow you are drawing closer to God and growing in your faith. You could actually be doing all that in place of growing in your faith. Some of you, you're church worshipers and you need to take a break. I know you've never heard this before, but I'm just here to tell you some of you should take a break. You should go walk in the woods, Touch a tree, pray to Jesus. Do something else different. <laughs> so many people are going to try that this week. You're like, "So what Danny said. I just, <gasps> I believe. <laughs> I just... For the others of you, it needs to be a significant tree, right? Not just a bush. Don't touch a bush in your yard. It could be a bush. I don't know. But you're supposed to do something more with your faith than just show up here, sit in a seat. I say it. Listen, I say it not because I don't love attending and I don't want all of us to gather. I say it because I think even our attending and gathering and greatness of this church could distract us from the very work we're supposed to be doing in our hearts, which is the whole purpose of the great gathering in the first place. Your solid marriage, maybe there's some stuff you need to talk about because all it is is solid Maybe you need to be a parent who goes first and shares some stuff with your kids. Maybe you need to be a high schooler that actually decides this faith is your own. I don't know, I don't have to know. It's between you and the Holy Spirit that's pulling your heart apart right now. And I'm so grateful he is because the apathy that you and I hide within, the huge barns that you and I hide all of ourselves within, that is the very thing I believe that keeps us from intimacy with Christ. One of my favorite preachers, his name was Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon had a movement that, uh, that was fluid, but he loved the Bible and so it was also mechanical. And he figured out a beautiful way to build an incredible thing. And as his movement grew, he got to a place where he didn't know what was going on, but something was happening that he needed to address. And so it says that one day he went for a walk. He went for a walk through the streets of London and the story goes he ended up walking to a place down in an area called Southwark. And this is the place where they make the huge boilers for ships at the time and a place filled with blacksmiths imparting their trade. And he watched. As he watched them do what they do, they do he began to realize that the thing that he was facing in the great movement that God was allowing through him was that his church had become apathetic. They were like, you hear I go to Spurgeon's church, right? Yeah, did you hear that really clever sermon he did a while back? Did you hear how many people showed up? It's amazing what God's doing through us. And he knew that God wanted to address this apathy even in this blessed place. And so he watched. He watched the blacksmiths work their trade, the intense noise that was almost unbearable, the heat and the noise and the mastery of skills all coming together in creation. And he marveled. And then he saw movement right beneath the forge, beneath the embers. He noticed something that didn't belong, at least not as peacefully as it laid, a slumbering dog, the blacksmith's dog. Raised sits a pup under the fire and sparks of the great forge, completely unaware of how accustomed it had become to this dynamic place of fire and flash. And so with this image in his mind, the following Sunday, he spoke these words to his church. I am always afraid that you who hear me constantly will get to feel we have heard him so long and so often that he cannot say anything fresh. Why? Did I not use to shake you when first you heard me and compel you to shed many tears in the early days of your coming to this house? And now, well, you can hear it all without a tremor. You are like the blacksmith's dog that goes to sleep while the sparks are flying from the anvil." You see, Spurgeon isn't saying that where the dog is, is wrong. It's where the master placed him. And through years and years of following and and awareness, it has become used to the beauty and the creation and the sparks and the fire until eventually it was commonplace. No, he's not saying where it is, is wrong. He's saying that how casually the dog has experienced the wonder of his own life is wrong. See, as Christians, here's what I wonder. When we come to Christ, it's like walking into a blacksmith's shop and it's warm and it's overwhelming and it's noise and it's like a reforming of my story and my heart and it burns and it hurts, but I can't keep my eyes off it because there's something new being created in my heart and in my marriage and in my story. And then one day I go from standing and I'm like... God is so good and I sit and people walk by and they're like, this is amazing what's going on in your life. And you're like, it is. I mean, watch what happens next. Boom, big noise. People go, what? You go, I know it's crazy. God is good. And then suddenly we get more relaxed because people start showing up mainly to look at us, not at the blacksmith anymore. They can't believe the miracle that's happening in our story. And suddenly they're like, Danny, how did you do it? And I'm like, it took a lot of hard work sitting here in the midst of God's movement and creation doing nothing, getting used to his presence. And they're like, but it seems so. And I'm like, I know, child, I know. I know, cover your ears for the Lord's voice is loud to those who aren't used to it. It's terrible. It gets worse, right? And then a spark falls on my hand, but I know it's a little spark, so I don't do anything but just like, ah power of the Lord. Everybody else is like, oh, it's amazing. And you're like, it is pretty amazing. I've got, you want to see, I got scars all over the place. Look, can you, you, that's my mission trip to, can you believe, I memorized this chapter. Did you hear about my sermon? (laughs) Suddenly people aren't even looking at the blacksmith anymore. They just want to be like you. And then, and then, if you're really, really caught up in your own movement, you actually start taking credit for what gets created. If you really think that's a lot, you should see this. Look at this church! Can you believe they gave this to us? Clearly they saw something in us. They saw no other humans in all of the planet. Can you believe we got a second campus? Can you believe the people that come to our church? Our church! Our church! Our church! Let's sing the anthem of our church! And now we're cooler and better and more blessed. And I believe at one point the blacksmith just put out the forge and he's like, Dog, shut your mouth. And we're like, no, no. We are howling in adoration of all that you are doing through us. And the whole time, we are missing the idea that he brought us there in the first place to show us the process of how he does what he does, not so that we could be amazed with ourselves, but so that we could be amazed with him. I heard a beautiful picture of that. The man said, it's a lamentable fact that what is customary soon becomes commonplace, The often repeated soon loses its power over us. Repetition seems to sear the heart as if by a red hot iron. And then he put up this picture and he said, consider if the sun went down only once in a hundred years, what a worldwide commotion the sunset would create. If only once in a hundred years, the Western sky glowed and burned as though some colossal celestial glory were about to burst through upon the world. What a chorus of awe and wonder our human voices would evoke. And yet you and I, (laughs) we're gonna drive to work tomorrow morning, not even look at it. It's gonna set behind our homes we probably won't step outside. Except those of you who are going to go out and feel a tree, you'll probably see it because you'll just be like, <laughs> you'll be like sunset and tree, double spiritual, right? And then you'll tell people and then you wreck the whole thing because you, you made it all about you. You can go feel a tree and watch the sunset. Just shut your mouth about it. Let it be between you and God. That's all I'm saying. Maybe journal. <laughs> I told you it's personal and the nine o'clock was solid. So this one is is for you, whoever you are that's pushing on the room. I think it's a beautiful thing to realize that there's so much beauty around us we're missing. I just wonder if a lot of that beauty is sitting inside the beautiful things we think we get credit for. Our children, the people we love, the churches we go to, and most importantly, the God who adores us. This entire movement is one big stewardship. Your family, is you are stewarding it right now. No matter the age of your children or whether you have a family at all, you are stewarding the life you are living and God should get the credit for it. But in order for you and I to see it, I think we have to awaken from the slumber beneath the creation of our story and the process that we're experiencing. And we have to look at the master and what he's doing. And once again, maybe let the sparks burn a little bit. Maybe really take in the smoke, really experience the trauma and the drama and the difficult things in your life along with the blessings and realize that you are in a fluid process that is wonderfully mechanical in its execution and that everywhere you are is probably where you should be so that you can figure out where you're supposed to go next, but none of it's going to happen until you figure out how you got there. And all of that takes more than a 30 minute sermon on a Sunday morning or a podcast or coffee with a friend. It takes you and your God deciding that there are barns in your life that you have to look under, that you have hidden your apathy under. I know I have, I know I have. I've done it right here and I'm confessing it from this pulpit. I know for a fact that there is apathetic tendencies in my spiritual life because of what I do and God uses it anyways, and that's the process I should be celebrating. Where's yours? Where is yours? Here's my closing hope, that acknowledging the wonder of God, working throughout your process is what turns a life filled with apathy to a life filled with awe and wonder. This is why verses like in Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Notice it's Christ that's working the process. It's Christ that once you awaken is moving you through the motion. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. That is what a life fully aroused to what it's supposed to be looks like. Knows that it's insufficient, but that God is sufficient. He gets the credit, he gets the glory, and I get to stand right next to the forge and watch him do it. And when people say, how'd you do that, Danny? I said, I didn't do anything. God bought me with a price. He loves me, he placed me here. You should come and meet him. You should come and experience his power. It has nothing to do with me. As a matter of fact, here's areas in my life that are weak. Here's where I'm vulnerable. Here's things that have happened that, that, that cause it so that I don't deserve to be here. But the Holy Spirit continues to pull me back to the forge of creation and continues to drive me in process to be different than I am. And suddenly the forge is filled with family and people in process and all different kinds of experiences and God is there building each and every one of them for his glory and his kingdom. That's the goal of the series. I think it's critical at this season when everything at Kesset is great for us to tear that barn down and to trust him to do whatever he wants to do with it. There's all kinds of ways that you can be involved in doing that. There's all kinds of ways. I, I wanted to give some very practical ways other than just go touch a tree because I think that works for some of you. But some of you are like, I, I just... I don't like trees, <laughs> it's, it's not just relax. So here's a couple practical ways. The first one uh, for men, we have a men's event tonight. If you wanna show up uh, and, and it's gonna take courage to do so because you didn't go to the last one or you're just like, ah, maybe face some of your apathy and some of the intimacy stuff that show up for something like that would uh, bring and show up anyways. There's information up on the screen. For the women, we also have a paint and sip coming up on June 24th. Now, I realize I've heard from a lot of women, I don't paint, so I'm not going to that. Awesome. Then just come and sip, because you can do that, I bet. (laughs) Somebody's like, I'm not a sipper either, right? I'm like, well, then I don't know, just show up for the community. Maybe give it a shot. And then lastly, and this is the one I'm probably most excited about, at the end of this series, on the 23rd and 26th of June, we're going to have a baptism right here at every service so that you who are working out some of this apathy in your life can decide whether or not making that statement of faith is critical to what's next in your life. I believe that our church is gonna transform. I believe it's continuing to be fluid and mechanical and beautiful and yeah, broken. And I believe inside that tension of scripture and spirit, we can awaken these spaces in our lives and experience more of God than we ever had before but only if we're willing to walk through the process. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in this space right now, I would ask that that you would just bring to mind areas within our lives that that we're holding too tight. Areas in our lives that, uh, that, that we're putting too much security in. Areas in our lives that are just really about our control. Instead of yours, I also want to, God, it's on my heart right now to say that for some people in this room, uh, they're being apathetic about their own health, their physical health. They are not taking care of these bodies that you have blessed us with. And so, God, I pray that you would awaken that also spiritual health, Lord, emotional health, that there might be an apathy around uh, being willing to investigate just how to become someone that is whole and healed and aware. I pray, God, for people like me that are that are just caught up in the beauty of your church, that it would not become the thing we worship, but instead would become a beautiful example of how to set down something in exchange for a relationship with you. I thank you for this place. I thank you for all that it represents. I ask, Lord, that you would continue to be the lead pastor, that you would continue to get all the glory and all the worship, and that, God, we would simply be your children in process, showing you our pictures, showing you our works, showing you the beauty of how you've made us so that you can look upon us, nod and know, and love that we trust in you enough to be our whole selves. I thank you, Lord, for this, for all that you're bringing We just rest in your presence now, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: I am in process. My failures are well documented in the hearts of men. My incompleteness is written by the hands of those who don't really understand the nature of their own existence And yet I often find myself defining the life that I live through their lenses instead of his. Longing to survive for another day, I'm consumed with high expectations, yet I am met with little grace. See, I'm faced with the same trials and temptations of the one who perfectly completed his task. But I find myself focusing on what I lack and not what I have. I am in process. Even as I'm speaking, even as I'm speaking, I'm searching for more elegant words to impress those who I believe think less of me, as though their thoughts and their opinions write the lines of my own destiny. God. God, how could this be? Lord Jesus, how could this be the script of my scene within the story of your eternity? But then he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. His power is made perfect in my weakness. So yes, while I am weak and concerned with the neatness of life, Jesus reminds me that the start of my journey was defined by his sacrifice on the cross to which my destination is less of a place, but rather it's a pursuit of his face and his name along the way while he cheers me on. He reminds me that while the world sees my failures and my incompleteness and my wrongs, the life that I live belongs to him. And this process that I'm in, well, it's a journey not marked by my sin, but rather his work of grace within me. I am in process. But only Jesus defines the life that I live. So out of his love, I will do my best to put into practice all the things he said. I will use my incompleteness to help build that bridge for those who desperately for those that desperately want to receive life from the love that he gives. Because that is where his power is. Calling the living out from the land of the dead. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we are in process.
2: No longer I who live, but Christ in me. For I've been born again, and my heart is free. The hope of heaven before me, the grave behind, hallelujah. You brought me back to life, yes, you did. I won't forget the moment that I heard you call. With us now. When something says I am guilty, I'll point to the price you paid. When something says I'm not worthy, I'll point to that empty grave. And just like Lazarus, oh, you brought me back to life. Yes, you did. No longer. And no longer. Thought he had me, but Jesus said, "You are mine." Yes,
3: he did. The enemy. thought he had me, but Jesus said, "You are mine."
2: morning church we love you lord thank you god we love you thank you for this space and this time god thank you for the journey that you have each of us in father we pray for the process that each heart and each person in this room is walking through right now god we trust you in it we ask that we would follow you in it this week lord we seek your face We chase after your heart because we know that you're chasing after ours always. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday, guys, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us.